0: So in kindergarten, kids are learning the design thinking process to help them foster creativity and innovation. And so again, that's all built in to their core instruction. And so I really think that's the secret sauce that separates us.
1: Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I'm your host and chief goddess of the PASS Foundation, Annalise Corbin. We know the current model for education is obsolete. It was designed to create fleets of assembly line workers, not the thinkers and problem solvers needed today. We've seen the innovations that are possible within education, and it's our goal to leave the box behind and reimagine what education can look like in your own backyard. Welcome to today's episode of Learning Unboxed. As always, super excited because we get to have conversations with some of the most innovative leaders in education on the planet, I like to say. And so today is, is no different. Joining us is Buddy Berry, um, who is the superintendent of Eminent Schools, which is a rural district of about 850 students located 40 miles east of Louisville, Kentucky. Superintendent Buddy Berry is a fourth-generation alumni of Eminence, which I think is actually a really unique sort of perspective on this story, um, because he comes from the place he now leads. Five years ago, Eminence was facing a declining in enrollment and in funding, and since Buddy and all the different amazing programs that he's going to share with us today um, have begun, uh, the tide has turned in Eminence. So, um, Superintendent Barry, welcome.
0: Yeah, well, I'm glad to be here with you and excited to uh, spend a little time talking.
1: I'm excited as well. And so just to set a little bit of context for our listeners, I had the privilege of meeting Buddy, actually, because he and I were sitting next to each other in an auditorium, just sort of sat down in some random empty seats and come to find out we were both keynotes at a conference. Um, and so I had the opportunity both just to chat with Buddy, but also then to to hear you do your keynote uh, because you were the day before, uh, before I went. And I was so inspired by what I heard that I wanted to bring you on the program to talk about all of the amazing things that are going on in Eminence. And in particular, let's start with this whole idea of School on Fire.
0: Yeah, we've been, we're in, I guess, our 11th year of School on Fire. Uh, It's the framework of innovation for reinventing education. We we really wanted to come up with a new way of doing school. And so we thought we needed something bigger than um, just saying it was a new initiative. We kind of needed a whole identity for it. And so, you know, kind of burning the old model up and, and trying to start over and reinvent, redesign, recreate. And so uh, we wanted to set out to do a kind of a completely personalized, uh, tech-heavy, passion-based uh, experience for students where the learning is just as much fun as it is rigorous and where kids are challenged to create, design, uh, and really forge new pathways uh, for what school can look like, and so uh, we've seen tremendous success. COVID and all, uh, you know, sincerity kind of kind of derailed it for a couple of years because everything we were doing was collaborative and hands-on and interactive, and uh, you know, we were told to sit six feet apart in rows, and so uh, been a tough couple of years. But uh, you know, the good news is is that we're really starting to see that tide uh, swing back. Uh, we're we're doing something currently. But I actually haven't talked about much, but we're calling it Operation Reset. And so um, really what it stands for is restoring imminent schools, energy, excitement, enthusiasm, kind of a bunch of ease that we have there, trajectory. And so, so we're in the middle of that. And, uh, you know, it's really starting to feel like home again.
1: You know, I think that, you know, so many conversations that I've had, obviously, you know, the, the the pandemic always comes up, right? It was this major disruptor, but we also all had the opportunity to learn something if we were willing to learn something from it as well. And I have no doubt that that took place um, in imminence since it's so innovative in terms of the work that you're doing help us sort of step back just a little bit. Um, you know, a piece of the the, the intro that I was, um, you know, referring to, clearly, you know, this has been going on much further than the the five years, you know, that I made reference to, but help us set the stage. So when you, you, you came back, I guess, really, to Eminence, right? Having gone to school there, you know, and then go off into the world and do your things and you find yourself with this opportunity. What was going on at Eminence in particular that was sort of really the sort of catalyst for for the work that just got you inspired in jazz? Because the reality of it is, as a leader, you know, there's so much that's going on in your community and the work that you're doing, but honestly, so much of it also has to do with the fact that, that leadership both yourself and leadership, I assume, within the community, has really sort of embraced the idea of that we can be a catalyst for something different. How do you how do you get to that moment?
0: Uh, for me, I had no aspiration for ever being a superintendent, so so that that was point one. Um, I, you know, it, to be fair, um, I went straight basically from a high school math classroom to being superintendent in the same district. Um, And and they were operating, you know, they may not say this, but a point of desperation. um, And 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 we had gone through six superintendents in five years, and so we, you know, we were really struggling with an identity. Um, Our pay, obviously, is is we're one of the small schools in the state, so um, our superintendent salary is uh, about the same uh, equivalency as a teacher. In uh, Jefferson County, Kentucky, and so uh, so then you really didn't get somebody that was there for the right reasons, uh, and and that's not to speak ill of anybody that filled in. It's just kind of the reality of, of where we were facing, and so declining enrollment, terrible test scores. We we were just operating from a place of needing an identity and 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 needing to figure out something. And you know, you talk about disruptive innovation. Um, we we needed something drastic. Um, and so it was not, we didn't need to try like a a test taking strategy. Uh, we really had to just kind of blow it up and start over. And so I think part of what allowed us to do it is that myself and then our staff at the time, we didn't know any better. And so I had never been a principal. I had never been a superintendent, obviously never been, I'd never had a a leadership role outside of being a two-year guidance counselor. And so, um, we, we didn't know that you couldn't do what we were setting out to do. We, we didn't know that we were going to be the first one-to-one district in Kentucky. Uh, you, know, you know, we didn't know that you couldn't design learning experiences down to the student level where you prescribe learning to each kid so that it's, you know, that we didn't even know what personalized learning was 12 years and 13 years ago. We just kind of stumbled onto it uh, in, in an effort to find what best worked for our kids.
1: And I'm super curious about that, too, because as as I've had numerous conversations all over the world with, you know, innovative folks saying, let's go in and disrupt the world of education. One of the hardest things to do, and I hear this over and over and over again, is to get the buy-in of the participants and whether that's the students, right? First and foremost, we're all in this space because of, of, you know, the things that we need to do with and for um, students and, and, and kids but you know the adults have to get on board too and it's a really really difficult conversation sometimes i think that it's super interesting you know as you talk about the fact that you know one of the things that i suspect to some extent was a little bit different after you know numerous superintendents in a very short period of time is that you know what what eminence was left with were the people that love and cared about eminence no, you know, I you were all so- of eminence, right? As opposed to somebody coming in from the outside. Does how did that how did that impact the conversation around the work to make the shift?
0: I know. I, I think that definitely helped. I, I also think that you know we set such a clear vision, and it was such a rip the bandaid kind of moment. Is you know that that it allowed us like to set it so clearly that those that didn't think they could be a part of it kind of chose to leave on their own. And then those that, but it also attracted people to it that said, that's what I'm looking for is to, you know, I got into education to do something like that. So so I think we set such a clear vision that it allowed people to rally. I, I do think that what you're saying as far as those that remained, they, they definitely weren't here for salary. They weren't here for, um, you know, accolades. Uh, you know, like it—it it, it was people that really cared about kids and and wanted to see a difference. I, I do think me being from here probably helped uh, from the standpoint that I think the town uh, at least trusted what we were doing. That didn't mean that everybody was great with the change. We had a two to three percent very vocal group um, that that were adamant that that I you know that that, that it wasn't the change is bad and you sh- you shouldn't do it. I, I've never shared this publicly. I found a letter this week uh, from ten or eleven years ago when we first started, and it was an anonymous letter sent to the board, and it was detailing why they thought that these initiatives were not going to work, why every one of them would fail, and they said that you know basically Buddy's doing this to make a name for himself, and 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 he'll be gone in six months just like all the others. Well, it's, you know, fast forward thirteen years. And 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 that document that, that I don't think they were sending it to be ugly or evil, um, but but, but they were operating from the best sense that they knew. But like I could go through that now, and everything that they were most concerned about have become what has made us a, a national model of innovation. So every single one of the check boxes that they said you know were, were, wouldn't work have not only worked, but they are our shining stars. And, and then. You know, I'm still here, so, so still making way less than I would somewhere else. You know, you know, and, and I think that, that I think that that persistence and tenacity um, has has honestly won over the masses in terms of we're not a flash in the pan. And, and I do think and, and by the way, this is one of the best conversations I've ever had because you're taking a, a very different slant on on how we did what we did. And I appreciate that. But but the uh, I think the thing that has kept a lot of innovative models from being the best that they could be is that when people see success, they do leave where they're at or they get promoted. Like you get a super successful principal that's doing something awesome. And then the next thing you know, they're an education consultant. Uh, you get a super successful superintendent. And the next thing you know, they're on a speaker circuit. And, and so it's very rarely, I think, I think we need more people to stick with it so that we can really see systemic change. And, and I think that's, part of where you are going with your question
1: It is 100%. And I, you know, again, I've seen so much of that and you're absolutely right. You know, somebody comes in and they're doing this incredibly amazing job. And I particularly see it in really large school districts, big, old, giant urban. And you may have one school in a district that overall is just, maybe it's mediocre or maybe it's, it's, it's not a great district at all. It's struggling on so many, many different levels. And you've got one school, you've got this one spot that is doing absolutely incredible things. And part of the inclination is let's take that innovative leader that made that possible and put them someplace else so that you know the theory being we we can take that success and we can spread the success and what happens is actually the opposite most of the time not always but 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 frequently it just really erodes the original success and suddenly that space is no longer functioning this the same way because part of it is about community i think that's really, really successful educational initiatives that are truly, truly innovative. If you peel back all the layers, what you find is a community, however you want to define that, right, that is around that innovation that is deeply, deeply committed across the ecosystem that it's created. And that is really, really hard to sustain when you start to break it up to sort of share that out other than just sharing the story, talking about the things that you're doing. But when you remove the people that made it possible, possible this often happens so i do appreciate that i you know i i want to be able to set the stage for the folks that haven't had the privilege of hearing you do the whole talk about what's going on and i will tell anybody who gets the chance to listen to you when you get the the chance to get up on those big stages and share your story. it's, it's worth it uh, buddy's a fabulous speaker so i will i will say that but but share with share with the listeners of this program sort of what what is Eminence the, the school? So, just give us the sort of hundred thousand foot view about what what is the magic of the place that what that you have done there.
0: It's it's funny you use the word magic. I mean, we we want to be the Disney World of education. So so you know we our our goal is is to make it an experience, uh, and and we think Disney does about as good a job as anybody of inspiring passion and creativity and, and, and honestly, personalizing an experience to the masses, you know, and, and, and I, I haven't always been sharing this, but I've started sharing it m- more recently, which is because I was questioned why Disney world? Well, 80 to 90% of Disney, if you've ever been, I, I must, have you been to Disney before? I, I mean, have. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so, you know, 80 to 90% is miserable, right? There's long lines. It's 95 <laughs> million degrees. It's super humid. Uh, you, you know, like you're exhausted, you've walked 10,000 steps, yep. but then, and this is a, this is a real moment in my, in my life. I'll, I'll share two of them very quick. One was one of those days where you're exhausted. Uh, you, you know, you, it's, it's, you're, you're, you're like, I'm never doing this again. And then it's, it's 10 o'clock at night. You've got your two, uh, you know, preschool age kids on the Dumbo ride and, and all of a sudden the fireworks start going off. And and their faces light up, and they think this is the most incredible thing that's ever happened. Another one is <laughs> is a similar day where you're you're waiting three hours for a parade, and and Mickey gets off a float, comes over, high fives your kid, you know, out of the thousands that are there, and and it's all that your child thinks about. So you know. It, those magical moments are only about five to 10 percent, 15 percent of your time there. But as soon as you get back, you forget about the 85 to 90 percent of of the the rest of it. And so, you know, our vision is how do we get that five to 10 percent, you know, 15 percent of meaningful, magical moments at school that drives the learning and helps kids want to keep coming back the next day? Um and so for us, it's it's you know it's creating this completely uh, personalized learning experience K through twelve. And so you know it's not where we started, but it's where we kind of got to on year three, and and we created this set of of core values called. Um, the, you know, we, we, well, we designed a graduate of a, a profile of a graduate. And so it had eight core attributes to it. Um, you know, perseverance, synthesization, empathy, you know, like, and, and we had these eight attributes that we felt like were equally important to um, English, math, science, and social studies. The, the kicker is, and because we were probably one, you know, first one to 2% of schools in America to create a grad profile. Did we invent the concept of a grad profile? We did not. Were we in the early innovators of 1% to 2% of the of people doing it in America? Yes. But where we feel like we were the first in America is to take that grad profile and then create standards that go with it so that at every grade level, every kid gets those, you know, like knows what it means. What is high-end collaboration for a second grader? What What is high-end empathy for a third grader? And so, you know, we, we've you know, I'm not saying our model's perfect, but at least then every kid through 12 years, 13 years of school, they're going to have over 100 micro credentials they're going to earn. They're going to go and they're going to have over 30 college and career expirations. They're going to present at least three times a year to 100 people publicly. They're going to be prolific writers. They're going to know how to do marketing and ad campaigns. And so all of that is built in into K through, uh, you know, 12. Uh, We even teach the design thinking process is popularized by Stanford's um, graduate program. We start that in kindergarten. So in kindergarten, kids are learning the design thinking process to help them foster creativity and innovation. And so, again, that's all built in to their core instruction. And so I really think that's the secret sauce that separates Mm -hmm. us.
1: Yeah. And I think that that is some of the secret sauce that inspires kids to stick with it. I assume, you know, that you don't have the chronic absenteeism absenteeism problem that so many schools across the country are really struggling with because your kids are so engaged, they actually want to come to school.
0: I uh, know. I think that's right. I and to be honest, you know, in in we we are always constantly innovating, right? So, like, yeah. Uh, and, I, and again, sometimes conditions change. So, one of our newest innovations uh, is something that I've, I don't think I've shared a whole lot with publicly. But it, I had the idea twelve years ago, but I couldn't get the conditions right to launch it, um, both locally in the community, and and so. But but when COVID hit, we took it as an opportunity to launch this thing that I've been wanting to do for 13 years. And so um, we're on a four-day work week now. So so Monday through Thursday is all that we go to school. And then Fridays are a day of interventions, connections, and enrichment. But staff don't have to work that unless they want to, and then it's for extra pay. Uh, and wow. so, um, so, so you're talking about also fighting chronic uh, teacher, true. You know now you schedule your inputs or your you know if you have a doctor's appointment, it's all on Fridays, and and that has taken everything and shot it through the roof of engagement, even to another level than we were seeing prior to the pandemic.
1: Wow, I, I'm going to applaud you for that because that is one of the most innovative things that I have heard a school do for their faculty, first and foremost, but also for the rest of the community. Um, I love that. Um, In April past, I took my organization to a four-day work week um, for a lot of the same exact reasons, right? Because recognizing that we needed to be able to to use time differently. And we can, right? Because we're all super innovative folks. So why do we feel like we're, we're trapped inside of a system that was dictated to us by, you know, from others that doesn't make sense for us or the work that we're doing or the the lives that we all collectively want to live. So I, I just love that. Uh, kudos for that.
0: We're the only fully staffed district within an hour of us. Uh, and, and again, I think a lot of that, I, I mean, we definitely create a culture of wanting to be here. I, I would at least hope but at the same time that the, the four day work week doesn't hurt. So
1: Right. Yeah. Well, I. Yeah. You know, and it's hard. It's an interesting transition. I. You know, that's a whole other conversation we could have. I would imagine it was an interesting transition on your end. It certainly has been on ours. But, but I still think um all for the better. I'm also super curious how how you. Think about or recruit, and I would assume it's the recruiting part is actually relatively easy, with the exception of the fact that you're a small district. But how, how does being a teacher in eminence then translate f- for somebody who's new to the district? You know, that's always this this piece. What what does that what is the sort of onboarding into the culture of who we are look like? Because I can imagine, you know, my listeners who are pretty sophisticated, they're all about innovation and education, and they're hearing all of this, and they're saying, Oh, that is amazing. But how do you actually get new folks into that system to hit the ground running?
0: Uh, it's funny you say that. I this is so this has become my most uh, current like passion project, I guess, so to speak. So um first of all we hire dispositionally. So and we started that 12 years ago. So rather than the most uh educated pedagogy like like whoever can come in with talking the best game of like plain school is not necessarily who we hire. So we hire people that are flexible, they're creative, they're passionate about kids and we have a very unique job interview that that almost is weird. Right and and so okay, tell
1: me more because now I'm intrigued. (laughs) uh,
0: Well, I mean, you know, we we have created questions over the time that we've been doing this that very little talks about classroom instruction or you know pedagogical pedagogical theories. It it is trying to find out who you are and and you know you know how do you relate to people? Um, Because we're a firm believer that we can teach anybody how to teach. Um, it, it, as a matter of fact, using this process in in the midst of a you know teacher shortage, I found a paralegal that within about thirty seconds of meeting them, I thought had everything that it would take to be an incredible teacher. And so this was just a random in passing in the community. Um, and so I, I said, "Look, I, I think you ought to apply for this job." He said, "Well, I've never wanted to be a teacher." I said, "You have everything that it takes. Try go through the process, see what you think." and so that she did this year um, not zero training so there's no no education background whatsoever um she's maybe the best hire we've made in 5 years and and it's all because of those those dispositions that she possessed uh you know in terms of being an advocate for kids in terms of being flexible creative um and and so we taught her how to teach so now you go back to the question of how do you onboard people um that is my newest passion so like I get to do quite a bit of speaking, and I, and I love it because I get to connect with people all over. Um, but my favorite thing to do, you know, professionally, is to go lead that onboarding process at other districts. We've do, we took about it used to take about an eight nine month like we used to take a whole school year before people really knew the language, you know, what it meant to work at Eminence, What what did personalized learning look like for you know working here, and so. We've condensed that down to what I would call is the two most magical PD days of your life. Um, <laughs> I so, love that. So it, 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 it has become, because the reason I like it so much, keynotes are great. You get to connect with people, but this goes so much further that the schools that have tried it, that have brought us in and they've just said, hey, use your onboarding process for our host staff. You know, like come in, and onboard our staff with your philosophy. Give us a common language to speak because it's as much about creating the culture for innovation and personalization as it is the actual strategies themselves. And so we're in, I guess, sometime around COVID, that's when we decided Like, I was going to try to cut back on keynotes some and really try to take more of these two-day Uh, We call them the School on Fire Institute for Creativity and Innovation. And all it is is what we've developed as our onboarding package for our own staff. We've now taken it out and starting to do it all over the country. That is the most powerful thing that I've been a part of because a year later, principals are calling and they're saying, thank you. Um, you're not going to believe how that's impacted our culture, our climate. And and it doesn't mean that they've arrived to attend, but they're seeing things that are taking place that are, that are, you know, now testimonies that they can hang their hat on to say, look at the changes that are occurring. So that, you know, because with small change builds new change, which builds more sure. change.
1: Sure, absolutely. I love the fact that you figured out, for starters, how to take your own onboarding process and make it available to others. That is really difficult to do in many ways, right? Because, as we all know, culture is everything, and you know, it's all locally, it's all locally derived. And so, the fact that you've been able to distill that down into a process that's applicable to others—that's really quite impressive. So, um, you know, certainly, thank you for that. I'm also um super curious, and um I can't possibly leave this conversation without asking you to sort of share with our listeners about the concept that you um you call surprise and delight.
0: Yeah, well, surprise and delight is kind of the heartbeat of eminent schools. Um, it is um it's it's this idea of taking things that other people take for granted and kind of cranking it up to awesome, right? And so um, you know, and so for the better part of twenty years, way before I was ever a superintendent, and I was still a teacher, I, I took pictures of surprising delights when I found them in the regular world. So, you know, a surprising delight might be a hotel that that has hot cookies at nighttime, right? Like not everybody does that, but that's an awesome perk what it does, right? Uh, A surprise and delight. We were eating in a restaurant. It was a hamburger joint. And when my kids were young, I was obviously uh, even poorer than I am now. And so like, I I had a (laughs) stay-at-home wife. I was making $30,000 a year. And when we ate out, we ate out where kids eat free. And so it was a random Tuesday night where kids eat free. Uh, and it's the best burger in Kentucky. It's called W.W. Cousins. If you if you're ever are in Kentucky, a- and um, what I will say is, is that um, it, it. That night we were there with the kids. They had hired a balloon artist to come around, and 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 they had a menu of offerings, and and the kids got to pick. And it was it was such a special moment because a I couldn't afford a moment like that at the time, and th- and then b it was so unexpected. That's surprise and delight. Right. And so then how do we take that and put it into a math lesson on a Tuesday? How do we go and make social studies lessons have in middle school come alive? Right. And so so that's that's part of what evidence does is we figure out how to make lessons and then kind of crank them up to something that's awesome.
1: Yeah, and it's super engaging for kids and you know a powerful learning opportunity so i, I love all of that i always like to think about um, you know as I'm closing sort of the conversations with the amazing guests that i, I get to have um, on this program recognizing that you know there's a lot of folks that are that are sitting back listening they're hearing what you have to say and they're imagining you know starting a journey that's similar or taking just small bits and pieces of what they've heard you talking about and applying it into their own classrooms, or as 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 leaders and buildings or districts, imagining a conversation with leaders even further up. Of you know, here I, I heard Buddy talking about X, Y, or Z, and I want to get started on that path. So I always like to ask my guests, you know, what 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 would you recommend or what would you suggest to the individual that's sitting there and having those thoughts about, hey we too can do something this creative, even if it's only bits and pieces of it, but I don't even know how to get started.
0: Uh, you, honestly, it's going to sound kind of contrite, but start somewhere, right? So like like pick something to start with. And, and I think that educators are the worst because I think that it's a very educated, smart lot of people. And so I think they want to overthink everything. And so, you know, as we say here, find something that you really like so so find an innovative strategy uh find an innovative technique find something that floats your fancy and then just try it so uh could that lesson be a disaster yes then tweak it and make it better the next time but but you know it's get a vision for what you want to do and then just try it like don't wait a year don't don't read seven books you know you know just find something uh find an educational resource find a video, find something that models it, and then try it in your classroom, try it in your school, and I promise you that your kids will be better for it.
1: Yeah, and your community as well. And your the families will come along, right? Even if they write that anonymous letter at the very beginning and they send it to the school board, you know, I, I bet if you you found that individual years later, they have a very different story to tell. And that has been my experience in this space as well.
0: We, we never got a letter to So, so so, I mean, I guess, I guess that's the best proof in the pudding. So.
1: oh that's hilarious but so so very very real world well buddy i want to thank you very much for taking time out of your day sharing what's going on um, in eminence and the journey that you've you've been on and are still on um you know to get there um so the the journey around innovation in my mind is one that's super super worthy our kids deserve all the effort that we are making so thank you for making time to share your story with us today
0: uh, thanks for having me. And again, if anybody kind of wants to hit me up with any questions, at BuddyBerry on Twitter, B-U-D-D-Y, B-E-R-R-Y, and then at Eminence Schools, at E-M-I-N-E-N-C, schools with an S. And so uh, that's a way to follow us the easiest.
1: Yeah. And I will also make sure that we post those, those links and whatnot on the resources page for the episodes. So everybody will be able to get to get access to those. So again, thank you so much for uh, spending time with us today. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.